0: So, you've opened an envelope that you've been waiting for for a long time, hoping for a big announcement. However, here's an even bigger announcement. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their life through full impact mindfulness the only requirement, the only admission price is the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist and your host for this podcast. And as promised for listeners of our previous podcast, we have an eclectic roster of guests. And today we have one of my favorite young ladies in the whole world. And I'd like her to introduce herself.
1: Hi, everybody. I am Fatima. i I'm from Pakistan. I met Jim in 2017, I believe, when I was doing a rotation in Pennsylvania um, where I had the, pre- uh, the pleasure of meeting Jim and working alongside with him for two months. Um, I have been in the U.S. back and forth since 2015, but I have been here from 2018. I'm currently doing my residency training in psychiatry, I am a year out and then I will graduate and, be, and will be practicing as an attending psychiatrist.
0: Oh, wonderful. So could you tell us a little bit about your life in Pakistan?
1: So I am the youngest of five sisters. Um, so I always kind of joke that rather than having one mother, I had six mothers growing up. Um, I was born in a very small city named Multan, where I spent the first 12 years of my life and then we moved to a slightly bigger city, Um, it's quite famous, named Lahore. Um, I then went on to finish my med school from Pakistan and then I came here. I was I, I had a pretty privileged childhood and life in Pakistan. I was very protected. Uh, my parents tried to give me everything uh, and more. Um, and yeah, I I genuinely really enjoyed my life in Pakistan.
0: And your decision to come to the United States was based on.
1: So two of my older sisters are also physicians and one of them actually practices in Pakistan. And she was the one who kind of motivated me to, you know, explore different options. Um, She thought that I had a lot of potential and that maybe staying in Pakistan, I might not be able to, you know, fully explore that potential. The U.S. seemed... um, uh, more of an easier choice because I have a lot of family here Um, and then in general you know obviously the training in the U.S. is world-renowned so that's kind of like what paved my way and then one of my best friends was actually also um, coming to the U.S. so it just you know worked out.
0: Obviously the world is constantly shifting and changing its viewpoints And rules and regulations. So, how does somebody from Pakistan get to the US in 2017?
1: Actually, the first time that I ever came to the US was in 2015. And I had come in to do a couple rotations in Arizona where my sister lived um, and currently also lives. um, And I also took my first exam for the US Emily. Um, So, just in general, applying for observerships or or like clinical rotations is quite a difficult process. And you need to start um, doing that at least a couple years in advance. So, for example, what, if I had wanted to come here in June uh, or March of 2015, I needed to start working on it by 2013 or the latest by early 2014. You kind of like, you know, have to... Uh, email and reach out to different doctors to see if somebody would be willing to let you do a rotation uh, with them. So the first time that I was here was in 2015. I stayed in the U.S. for I think three, four months. I did a couple um, clinical rotations, took my exam, went back, started preparing for the USMLE step one, which I took while I was in Pakistan, then came back to the U.S. again uh, stayed with my sister for a little bit. She needed some help. She has some chronic health conditions. Um, then went back. And then in 2017, I I had heard from a senior of mine about this outpatient clinic in um, Export, Pennsylvania. So I reached out to the doctor there. And um, I reached out to his um Assistant, And we started working on the process of uh, my doing a rotation there. So that's how I got to the U.S. in 2017. Um, I had a couple other rotations in different cities. I, I believe I went to Cincinnati for a month or so. Um, and then after that, I eventually went back to Pakistan in October of
0: 2017. So tell us the difference in cultures that you found between Pakistan and the U.S.?
1: One of the biggest, obviously, differences is um, just the language, right? Um, In Pakistan, we speak Urdu. Our official language is English because we were a British colony. But in general, just speaking to, you know, um, I guess shopkeepers or just like our regular language back home is is urdu um and then other than that just since it's an islamic country um there are you know uh, differences in clothing in how you know men and women interact with each other how they carry themselves um but a thing that really pleasantly surprised me about the u.s uh was just how nice people are you know like um, I wasn't used to people saying thank you to me or holding the door for me or, you know, wishing me a good day. And to be very honest, it was it took me a while. Like I I, I sounded very fake to myself whenever I would, you know, wish somebody that have a good day. And, you know, just making small talk. Um, I, I used to feel really, really awkward. Uh, but that was I think that was something that I hadn't noticed, you know, maybe watching TV or watching different sort of movies or in books. I think that's not something that's that apparent maybe.
0: How fluent in English were you before you came to the United States?
1: Um, I was, you know, pretty fluent. I went to a really good school. And then my, my mother is actually an English teacher who taught uh, English literature to like college level students so reading was a big part of our lives um you know growing up we were encouraged to read um for for leisure um so I was pretty I was very fluent in English I think now it's more kind of like become second nature uh, now, sometimes when I have to speak in Urdu with a patient, it takes me like a while to think of the right term. But, um, you know, yeah, so I, w- I was pretty fluent.
0: Perhaps, as everyone out there knows from previous podcasts, I'm a great admirer of uh, Dr. Safter Chaudhry. And one of the things that he liked to do was to give foreign medical graduates uh, a chance. And so how did you, how did you contact Dr. Chaudhary? How did you hear about him? I mean, my gosh, we were in a small little town in Western Pennsylvania.
1: So um, there was another uh, medical student who was my senior who had done a rotation with Dr. Chaudhary. Um, He, you know, when, when you come to the U.S. or when you plan to come to the U.S., um, there is a small proportion of, medical students from you know your own college um or your own med school who are planning to come to the u.s and even smaller proportion are the people who want to do psychiatry so aspiring psychiatry residents it, it's like i don't know if for example 100 people apply in a year maybe they're like two or three um you know from from pakistan which i know is a generalization but in uh it, it's a very very small proportion. So when one of my mentors found out that I wanted to do, you know, psychiatry, he was the one who connected me with Faisal, who was a year ahead of me from med school, who had done his rotation here uh, with Dr. Chaudhary. So he was the one who got me in touch. Um, actually, he was the one who sent me, uh, you know, the information about Siclair and you know the website, and then I just. Filled in the form and emailed Chris, and yes. then Chris replied to me, and then that's how it just happened.
0: I remember so well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm certainly glad that he connected you with Dr. Chaudhry, who was uh, very kind. And at that time, we were not only an outpatient psychiatric facility. Uh, Dr. Chaudhry often referred to it as a, an educational center, also.
1: Hmm.
0: So. After you left Seclair, and actually, uh, Fatma, you're the only one of two um, medical residents there that actually got a residency in the United States. I don't know if you're actually aware of that or not. (laughs) So what type of qualities do you think that you had let you fit in with uh, Seclair, and particularly your interest in the field of psychiatry?
1: You know, I think my interest in psychiatry just stemmed from a very basic um, level, just, you know, growing up. um, I was interested how the five of us were born to the same set of parents and had, you know, almost identical environments. And we had such different personalities, um, such different ways to deal with stuff. I think that's where it started from to kind of like, you know, I I kind of was always interested, like how, you know, because you always talk about nature and nurture, but for us, you know, we had similar genetic makeup and we have similar environments growing up, but we're so different. Um, And then also in Pakistan, mental illness is, uh, you know, now it's the, the, Awareness is getting better, and a lot of people are you know seeking help. But when I was there, when I was in med school, um, people didn't really um, talk much about psychiatry. And then I think there was a little I, I was a little rebellious because when I decided uh, or when I started telling you know people that I wanted to do psychiatry, I was told that I was really smart and that I was wasting my talent by going into psychiatry. And I remember telling people that, you know, it's my talent, so even if I want to waste it, you know, it's on me, so I will still choose to do psychiatry.
0: So you were making choices?
1: I was making choices.
0: Excellent, excellent. That's one of my tattoos. You might not be able to see it from there, but it's, I choose, two most powerful words that a human being has in their vocabulary, I choose. So talk to us a little bit about some of the roadblocks that were in your way and how you overcame them.
1: You know, I was maybe like looking back from here. I I don't feel like I had uh, you know really big obstacles, but I think you know there were certain things for sure. Particularly when I was applying, uh, when I was um, preparing for the for the steps. Um, at times, I felt like I wouldn't be able to take the exam or. Because I would just never feel like I am, you know, I've I've done enough, or um, even when I took the exam, I had this fear that um, I wouldn't do very well. Um, but I think that came from my father. Um just he just had this unwavering faith in me. He um, was very. You know, when I didn't have confidence in myself, he was the one who kind of like helped me in that regard. And not just in me, but he also had faith in his in his God. So he would always tell me that, you know, you do as much as you can and then you leave it to God. Um, and I think that's the kind of like um, philosophy that I have about life that I can, you know, I can only do so much. So I'll do as much as I can and then I, I will leave it in the hands of God.
0: Well, that's one of the basic 12-step philosophies, uh, Fatma, is that we do the footwork and let God determine the results. However, we have to do the footwork, and I would suspect there was much footwork involved in you getting to the United States and a medical residency, and I can't imagine the type of uh, work or the hours that you're putting in. Could you tell us a little bit about what your residency is like?
1: So, um, in psych- psychiatry is four years. Um, the first year, you do some medicine. It, it's a, it's imp- um, it depends on program to program. For my program, we did four months of internal medicine and two months of neurology. And the rest six months, we do psychiatry. Um, for psychiatry in the first and second year, there are like a mix of rotations that you do. You do some inpatient psychiatry. Uh, sometimes, some uh, weeks, you have to do inpatient night rotation where you work from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. and you're covering like all the floors. So, if there are any new admissions, you see them. If there are any medical issues, you take care of them. If somebody is, they, you know, is going, undergoing a crisis, there's like agitation or you know, any sort of self-injurious behavior, you're the person who's responsible for that. You, ha- you obviously have supervision and you have, you know, help, you can reach out to your attendings, but you are the main person that the nursing staff is going to call. Um, then we have, you know, in, in the hospital that I work in, we have our own CPAP, which is the psychiatric uh, comprehensive psychiatric emergency program. So we have our daytime rotation, we have our nighttime rotation, Right now, I'm in my third year. So it's only it's primarily outpatient. So I have uh, my own patients that I see from nine to five. Um, we also, in third year, do consult calls. So how that works is that any, uh, anywhere in the hospital, in an emergency room, in the medical emergency room, pediatric emergency room, or any one of the floors, if there is a need for a psychiatric consult. Um, we, you know, we are the ones who respond to that.
0: What is a typical day like for a medical resident?
1: So that depends. Uh, it depends on you know what rotation you're in, or what or what year you're in, or what specialty you're in. For um, in general, in psychiatry, uh, in third year, my day looks at like I I get to the clinic at nine. Um, I see new patients, like I see an intake, I can see an outpatient consult that is usually from nine to 12. Then we have lunch from 12 to one, and then one to five, we have our follow-up patients that we see, Um, that could be a medication management, or it could be a therapy case. Um, days that we're on call, um, our call starts after 5 p.m., and then it goes till 8 a.m. the next day. So we essentially work 24 hours.
0: Mm, okay. So how does that affect your life? Your life, if if there is a life for you outside the hospital?
1: So um, the 24 hours actually, you know, how they affect my life is that the day before I'm kind of anxious and apprehensive about that call. Um, while you're at work, you know, you don't really have time to think about anything else. So you're just like, okay, one patient at a time, one thing at a time. Uh, you know, a lot of times there are calls when you don't get any sleep at all. So you are essentially awake for 24 hours. And then the next day when you come back home, you're usually so tired that you just sleep all day. And it takes like a couple of days to kind of like get rid of that fatigue. So um, I would say it does affect my functioning a little bit. Um, I, I do the minimum possible that I need to do in my, uh, in my life outside of work to kind of like get by.
0: And next week, we will wrap up our conversation with Fatma, our dear friend from New York City. And for our free prescription today, we offer fruits, nuts and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste, my friends. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait,